0: on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord's help? Father, we thank you that we so freely have your word to open up, to hear from you. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We thank you, Lord, that your word has endured through thousands of years, through every possible opposition. It is a treasure for us. We don't want to take it lightly, Father. I pray that as we consider these words of Christ to us, that your spirit would so work in us that you would reveal places in our lives that we need to bring into check before your word. This matter of the glory of Christ is of great importance, to say the least. So may we handle this topic well this morning as we hear from your word, as you speak to our hearts, We're praying that the glory of Christ would indeed spread through our lives and into the lives of those that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. The title this morning is The Testimony of Glory where testimony doesn't really show up in here too much, but it seems fitting to consider what the matter of glory says to us as we consider glory in our own lives and the glory of Christ, the glory that we might seek for ourselves, the glory we might seek for other people. This ending to chapter 5 brings... To conclusion, this whole story of the man being healed by the pool, and I've recapped it every single week, and I'm going to do it again one more time because it is important for us to remember the context of what we're reading today. Jesus comes into Jerusalem during an unnamed feast, and he finds a pool wherein a multitude are gathered of sick and lame with all sorts of ailments, all sorts of difficulties in life, trying to enter into the pool at just the right time, believing that they might be healed. Jesus picks out one man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, unable to walk. And he asks him, do you want to be healed? And he heals the man, changes his life, completely turns everything around. And the response of the religious leaders of the day is, hey, you did that on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? unexpected response. There should have been a response of, this is wonderful. What more can you do? And, and, and what can you teach us? No, none of that. You did this on the Sabbath. You broke a rule of God, and we'd like to know who you think you are. And he very clearly says, I'm the Son of God, and extrapolates that throughout the passages that we've looked over the past few weeks in this chapter. He went from the issue of being the Son of God to the matter of his judgment on every person that he has been appointed to pronounce judgment on every single soul for all of eternity. We moved from there to considering the word of God and how these religious leaders would basically go to the scriptures, Jesus says, because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which talk about me and the fact that these leaders missed Christ in the scriptures left them only with their own glory-seeking, with their own efforts of saying, because I know my Bible so well, God must accept me, and people must revere me. They must give me glory and honor because of my great accomplishments and my religiosity. Christ says, if you miss me in the scriptures, you have nothing. He brings this up again towards the end of our passage, of course, when he speaks of Moses their hero, the one that they put their trust in, and the words that he wrote to them. We'll see what those words might be, what Jesus may perhaps have most likely been referring to. But here, the main topic that we should probably dig into today in this passage is that of glory, moving from all these subjects and Jesus' sort of sermonette that turns around the accusation brought on him and brings it against those who do not know him and who very clearly will not know him. If you notice that, what Jesus's indictment is on these leaders is not necessarily that, hey, listen, you're just not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not. No, he says, you don't want eternal life. How will you believe if you receive glory from men? There's there's a list of indictments that Jesus brings on these leaders. And we're going to see today, the matter of glory comes at the very end and carries special significance. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word glory. Do you hear of an old American? Do you think of an old American flag? Do you think of a sunset? I remember my one trip to Colorado. I enjoyed so much at the very end of it, partially because I was so ready to go home. But I never got a clear look at the mountains until I was in the airport. And I realized that the, the, the two days that I had spent there in a hotel doing important pastoral kind of things this many years ago, it was very good for me to be there, but I missed so much of the glory of being where I actually was, and I didn't realize it until I showed up to the airport and had plenty of time to sit there and look out the window and see those beautiful mountains. I was struck with the glory of creation. Creation is something pretty glorious, isn't it? This past week, we went to Columbus. And when we go to Columbus, we try to go to Giordano's Pizza, which is the very famous Chicago pizza that's been uh, replicated in Columbus, and I think almost as good. If you've never had real Chicago pizza, you really ought to try it. One of the things that was so fun as we were sitting around the table waiting for our pizza was when the waiter came and sat the pizza down on the table and pulled one piece up. He held it so, the kids' faces, you should have seen, Lucy particularly, eyes just huge and mouth on the floor at the glory of this cheese stretching all the way to the ceiling. It was incredible. We were all pretty hungry, but there was something in my four-year-old and two-year-old's eyes of, of glory even in that. As trivial as that sounds, there was something of awe-inducing power in their lives in that moment to consider how much cheese is on this pizza. What kinds of things evoke glory in your heart and in your mind? Are they things that you see in nature? Are they the work of human hands? Or perhaps is it the danger of what these religious leaders faced, the work of your own hands, your own accomplishments? This matter of glory is a major theme in John, and we haven't seen it too much yet, but it is going to come up a lot. If you're doing a Bible study on your own, it's a very helpful and good thing to find these key phrases and go to a place like BibleGateway.com and just look up the word glory, find the book of John, and look at all the instances. A word like glory comes up, or certainly testimony and testify is another repetitive phrase. But this is now at the end of Jesus' argument in his an explanation of who he is, he's now turned this around and said, here is at the core of your problem is a matter of glory, a matter of your understanding where it comes from, what it is, and most importantly, where it truly belongs. We saw this word glory earlier in John 1.14, this beautiful prologue, if you remember it from last year around Advent time, or if you've read it before, of course, We see, in the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory is an integral part of Jesus' mission on the earth, and it is perhaps in some way even more integral to the mission of the church here on earth. Because we are those who live in the tension of where glory belongs, what it is, and who it comes from. In verses 41 through 43, we see this introduction. This is, again, in the middle of this whole paragraph, so please try to follow along with me. Feel free to take a moment as we're looking at this to backtrack a little bit and familiarize yourself with last week's passage, if that's helpful. But he says, I do not receive glory from people. This starting point of this issue of glory begins with saying, hey, I'm not receiving any glory from people. Now, if I came up on a Sunday morning and preached a sermon, and I said, here's the problem with you all. I don't receive any glory from you. I mean, that's like grounds for fire in the dude right on the spot. Like any of the elders should charge the stage and say, this is clearly not what we're trying to present here. Jesus is a completely different person than anyone else you're ever going to meet. Because when he says, hey, I don't receive glory from people, he's saying it with the background fact that he deserves that glory. Now there's a couple different ways that we could understand what he's saying here. The first one, as I've already alluded to, is the idea that he should be receiving glory, and that's true. But secondly, we see in this statement that what Jesus came to do was not acquire some glory that was missing that we have that we've been holding back from him. It's an incredible and terrifying fact in some ways that whether you believe in Christ or not, you're going to glorify him for all of eternity. Either you will glorify him by worshiping him and living the beautiful eternal life that he has afforded all who believe at the cross. You will enjoy eternity praising him and every good thing most clearly coming from him, giving him glory. Conversely, those who reject the good message of Christ, the gospel, the good news of what he's done to pay for the sins of all who will believe, Those who reject that message will spend eternity far from him, separated from him, and not receiving goodness, but receiving punishment and justice for all of eternity. And that will also bring Christ's glory. It's a terrifying fact, but it's the reality. Glory is at the heart of the matter of creation. We will glorify him one way or another. But it is clear from this first verse, Christ is not looking for glory where it cannot be found. I receive no glory from men. That is mankind he's speaking of. He says, I come in my Father's name. That is, I'm representing the fullness of God's character to you. And you've rejected me. But if somebody else comes in their own name, if somebody else stands up and says, Hey, let me tell you how glorious I really am. Let me make much of myself while I'm up here. Jesus says, those are the people that you're receiving. We already made it very clear that on a Sunday morning, if I were to stand up here or if anyone else were to stand up here and start glory hogging about themselves, we would have to say, get this guy out of here. We do that like cartoon cane thing and pull him off the side of the stage. And rightfully so. Yet in our hearts, what we see in those who seek their own glory is just a simple reflection of ourselves. We can relate to that. Of course We would like to see people giving glory to themselves because that's what we want for ourselves as well. Christ comes in his Father's name, representing God entirely, and they have proven by the rejection of Christ that they've rejected God outright as well. Christ leaves no room for us from this point All the way through today, until he returns, he leaves no room for us to say, hey, I I do worship God, but I don't know about this Jesus guy. I'd rather just have a God that I can make up in my own mind. I'd like a God that can format to my sense of glory, that can testify to my glory, that can tell people about how great I am. Jesus makes it very clear in this passage and throughout the Gospel of John, we cannot have God without Christ. Because he himself is God. The New City Catechism, which is the curriculum we use for our kids right now, the fourth question, catechism is just a series of religious questions, asks this, how and why did God create us? And the answer they give is God created us, male and female, in his own image, to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. The call is clear. The glory of Christ is our purpose. And where do we find that? Look at verse 42. I do not receive glory from people, he says in verse 41 and verse 42, he says, but in contrast, here's the issue. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Therefore, if we work backwards, if the love of God is in my heart, what will I do? I'll glorify Christ. How do I want to know if the love of God is in my heart? How do I respond to the glory of Christ? How do I relate to the glory of Christ? In addition, does my glory of myself contradict the mission to glorify Christ? And what does it say about the love of God? Well, if I'm glorifying myself, I have no love of God. And clearly, all I have is love of self. So this is not only a matter, though it is primarily a matter of us recognizing the glory that Christ deserves, which we'll get into further, but it is also a matter of us recognizing what we were made to do, and that the distortion of self-glory is just that. It's a distortion of what we were created to do. Bob Dylan wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody, and it's a great song, and I almost put the lyrics in here, but there were too many words to it, so go look it up on your own. But you're going to serve somebody. You're going to glorify somebody or something. You can't not do it. You're going to glorify yourself. You're going to glorify something in the world. Or you're going to glorify Christ with your life. The glory of Christ then has to be the purpose of every person, believing or unbelieving. For eternity, the glory of Christ is all that will remain. And it is also the outpouring of genuine love for God. Do I love God? How do I respond to Christ? What do I do with the matter of his glory? In Colossians 1, the passage that Kevin read at the beginning of the service, Paul tells us that everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. I don't know about you if you've ever read that passage before in the first chapter of Colossians, but the first time I heard that passage, that was like a a watershed moment for me. That was a mountaintop realizing, wow, everything was made by him, and for him. That means I have no claim on anything in my life. Everything is owned by Christ. And everything, if the matter of glory is to be inserted into that, everything must glorify him if we're going to function properly. The glory of Christ, as we saw in John 1.14, is full of grace and truth. This is what John is saying from his own testimony. We have seen the Son of God. His glory has been revealed. And he is full of grace, unmerited favor, a good thing that we don't deserve. That is what he is full of, but he's also full of truth. And those things never conflict in the character of God. And they reveal to us our problem. Our problem this morning in this passage is that love of self is incompatible with the glory of Christ. You cannot have both things. And oh, do we try I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I would like to get the most out of this world that I possibly can while holding on to Christ's coattails making my way into heaven. I would like to get the most for myself, for my family, for my career, for my home. And just make sure that I make it to heaven in the end. These two things are incompatible. They don't go together. So the update on my home. Working on the bathroom yesterday. And my dad and I are working on the sink and doing the the pipe work, you know, with the PVC. And as we're piecing things together, he brings, he brought this big basket of different PVC pieces and he's putting things together and he's like, this is really frustrating. One of these pieces is one and a quarter inch and the other one is one and a half inch. It's a quarter inch difference. What is the point? Why do they have to be different? They're completely incompatible. You cannot put them together whatsoever. It's not going to work. I don't know, maybe there are adapters out there, but what we had did not allow for that. We had to find all of the 1.25 one and a quarter inch PVC or all of the one and a half inch PVC to make this thing work. We could not put the two opposing sizes together. We Couldn't mix and match even though they looked so similar. And in the long run, what's the difference at the bottom of your sink, whether it's a quarter inch more or a quarter inch less? Who cares? Apparently people who make PVC pipes do. I certainly don't. And so the love of self and the glory of Christ cannot be mixed and matched together. One will remain and one will be kicked out. This morning, by virtue of you sitting here, I would imagine we would all say, I would like to evict love of self and hold tightly to the glory of Christ. Easier said than done. The story of our culture is that success earns glory. And glory is something, again, we are, we are duty-bound by our nature to be attracted to in one shape or another. We want what is glorious, either for ourselves, either for something else in the world, or for Christ. The cultural narrative says that success is what gets us glory. And it seems because we can see and experience success in so many different ways, financially, or with our families even, or in our homes and our neighborhoods, we can see the effects of success in our life so clearly that that seems the fast track to glory. And it is very hard to escape. We may even, in fact, be in danger of engaging in this success equals glory mentality in church. How easy is it for us as we come out of church to say, today was a good church service. We had pizza. Success. Glory. Right? We filled shoeboxes. We did something good for the world around us. Glory to ourselves. I like sitting at tables during the service. Glory. Whatever your choice might be. Or, or it could be the opposite. It could all be negative. Oh my goodness, there was no glory at all. We had to sit around tables and we had to do the thing. And I don't like pizza. Pizza. Positive or negative, we're seeking glory in one way, shape, or form. And the narrative of our culture, again, says success earns glory, and that's all determined by people around us. And we'd love to make sure that people around us see how successful we are, that we might get glory for ourselves. Where's all of this coming from? I know that you do not have the love of God within you, Jesus says in 42. Verse 43, I've come in my Father's name, you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you realize that there is this terrible barrier between your belief and yourself and it's called self-glory? You cannot believe in Christ and live for your own glory. They're completely incompatible. How can you believe? It's pretty scary when Jesus talks about something is impossible, but that's what he's saying here. How can you believe when self-glory is all you care about? It's incompatible with what God has made us to be and to know and to do. And it's worthwhile for us to take a moment in our hearts, hopefully right now you're thinking, what is it in my life that brings me glory and that is in fact kicking out faith from in my heart? It's a danger. It's not something to be taken lightly. Jesus brings about the final step in his true accusation of this whole passage, verses 45 to 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. It's a funny thing that he kind of says this here, isn't it? Because so far it sounded like accusation. He has been accusing. But he's bringing that accusation to whom? To them. To the accused. He says, I'm not going to accuse you to the Father. That's not my role. Now we know from the broader context of Scripture that we have a great accuser. We have the enemy of God, who is the enemy of his people, The devil wants nothing more than to accuse us before God that we have no righteousness of our own and no reason at all for God to accept us. And that, in fact, is true. But Jesus brings out another accuser here, and it's a surprise accuser to his listeners. I will not accuse you before the Father, but there is one who accuses you. It's Moses, whom you are the biggest fan of. I want you to think right now of who is in your corner the most. Is it your mom, your grandma? Is it your kid? Is it your best friend? Bless you. Is there somebody who you could say, like, that's that person who is my constant cheerleader, the one who always encourages me. Can you imagine that person coming around and accusing you? Saying that something is wrong, that there is a serious issue Well, for these Jewish leaders, they would look to Moses, not necessarily as the one who was always in their corner, but the one whom they aspired to be. They made Moses Jesus. Moses was the one who came down and gave them the Ten Commandments, who led their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt. Moses is the one who stood firm in all of the complaints of the children of Israel time and time and time again. And Jesus says, Moses is the one who's going to accuse you, the one you've been hoping for. Interestingly enough, there's evidence to say that some Jewish leaders at this time, as Jesus is speaking, actually held to a doctrine, a belief that Moses stood in heaven and interceded or spoke to God on behalf of the people of God on earth. Isn't that fascinating? Because we know there's someone else who does that. There's someone who really does that. And Jesus dispels that doctrine entirely. He goes the opposite way. Moses is not up there speaking on your behalf because you're doing so good in your Bible study or in your good works for people or, or in your job or whatever success you've been aiming for. Moses isn't up there saying, hey, he's doing a really good job, God. Can you just let him up in here? Can you, can you approve of him? Can you give him glory? Moses is doing the opposite Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. What an accusation to bring, again, to Moses' biggest fans. You don't even believe Moses. Are you kidding me, Jesus? We are his biggest fans. We know everything Moses ever said by heart. Of course we believe Moses. But you've missed Christ, he says. You've missed me. He wrote about me. And so if you don't believe Moses, how are you going to believe me? You can't fall back on somebody else. You have to deal with Christ himself, and you have to deal with the fact that he is the only one worthy of glory. We can create a Moses in our own mind who will accept our pursuit of success and glory on our own and of ourselves, but Christ stands as the one and only Son of God who came to earth as a little baby and lived a life entirely as a substitute, all the way to the cross, and died in the place of sinners and self-glorifiers. We need to ask ourselves this morning about the cost of our own glory, because Christ makes it clear at the cross what it cost him. If we're looking for approval or glory from others, like the Pharisees, like these Jewish leaders at the time, looking to somebody like Moses, looking to somebody like a spouse or a best friend or a parent or a child or a politician or an athlete, a celebrity, someone that we look to for affirmation and for purpose that we give glory to or that we think we get glory from, then the priority of Christ's glory in our lives is non-existent because it's incompatible with self-glory. It's incompatible with giving glory to people who come in their own name. It's incompatible with our seeking our own success. We have to lay these things down or just have them and no glory of Christ. How do we know if this is a problem? You need to consider in your own heart what is the priority of the glory of Christ in your life. You might quickly think, well, I mean, I do have to work. Uh, I do have to clean the house. I do have to pay the bills. I do have to... God isn't calling you to glorify him in any other way than what he has you in right now. He's placed you where you are to bring him glory. Maybe there's somewhere else tomorrow or 10 years from now or whatever, but right now, the issue of the glory of Christ means something as you wash the dishes and change the 10th diaper and fix the sink with the right size PVC pipes. Whatever it is that you're doing, he has called you to that and to bear a testimony to someone's glory. And if you can have a conversation around the table while you eat pizza today and talk about, man, it was a rough week, but I got through it because I am great. Do you want to hear how good I am? I had to get up at such and such a time, go to bed at such and such a time, do all this work in between, and no one even cared. It's very easy for us to fall in that trap. And I hope I just dis- didn't dismantle your small talk. But perhaps you might say at the end of your explanation of how did my week go, Christ got me through it. And he is to be glorified for any good in my life whatsoever. And you can let everyone else around the table say, okay, they are so spiritual. And if you feel like you're thinking that in your head when you hear somebody, just throw it right back at them. Say, you're right, Christ is glorified. Let me tell you how Christ is glorified in my life as well. Because I had a rough week too or I had a great week, or whatever it might be. Christ can be glorified in all of these things. He is the one that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18, 15, when he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And that listening is a matter of giving glory to him and saying he is the primary voice in my life. And it's fascinating too in Deuteronomy 18 as Jesus is described by Moses who probably at the time had no idea what he was really saying, right? He's like, okay, there's a prophet coming. I don't know it's going to be the Son of God. But what's fascinating is he's a prophet like you, from among you, from your brothers. He's a human being, and yet still the Son of God simultaneously. Never less God than when he was before Christmas, before he first came. And this is what Christ has done. In coming to us, he has left behind his glory. He has done the opposite of what we are inclined to do on our own hearts and our own own paths, our own desires, our own plans. He laid aside his glory contrary to what we do in trying to acquire our own. And in leaving behind his glory, he has poured out the love of God in our hearts, Romans 5 5 says. I don't know what translation it is, but in my mind, as I was thinking that passage, the translation says, God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts because of what Christ has done at the cross. He fixes the glory problem by fixing our hearts, by turning things around and saying, guess what? You don't have to be a slave to your own glory anymore or to anyone else's glory. You can just live for my glory and you can know without any uncertainty or any doubt that I will be glorified for everything. I am worthy of glory. John 13, 32, Jesus says of himself, if God is glorified in him or of me, he's saying in me, God will also glorify him in himself. This glory that he's talking about is the glory that comes from the only God. And it's so fascinating because in this verse, I've wondered as I looked at it, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Well, is God going to glorify us? In one sense, yes. His people will be made glorious, not not exactly to the degree that Christ is, but our perfected self in heaven for eternity will be very different than what you see right now. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think, check me if I'm wrong, do your own Bible study. That's your problem, your challenge, your, your need in all of this. I think that when Jesus says he's talking about the glory that comes from God, he's talking about the glory that comes from God to Jesus. That our purpose in responding to the cross is to partner with the Father in glorifying the Son. That's it. That is our participation in glory. That is our ultimate end and our ultimate goal. Jesus died as the only one worthy of glory so that self-glorifiers could have life. He was even incarnated. He left his glory to glorify the Father, and the Father so then glorifies him. As he said in verse 42, but I know that you don't have the love of God in you. He's not just saying, I know that right now. He's saying, I have known, technically in the Greek. He said, I know everything about you, your entire past, your entire present right now. There's no hidden love of God that you've created up on your own, but what I can actually put into your heart. We need a fresh view of Jesus I'm going to say it daily, daily get a fresh view of Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself daily so that he might shed abroad the love of God in your hearts, pour it out abundantly. It's not, you know, a little drip here or there. When we look at Christ for who he truly is, he pours out the love of God in our lives. The gospel is good news about that glorious work of Christ, and we have to meditate on it daily That doesn't mean you get away to a far remote place and do that every single day. I mean, in your daily life where he has placed you to glorify him, to bear a testimony of glory, think on the gospel. I know in some cases you might say, it is impossible for me to think about anything while I'm at work besides the work itself. That's okay because Christ is interceding for you. Because he is praying on your behalf that you would see him in whatever work it is that you have to do day by day. And I believe that he will do it. So what do we do? We need to leave behind our own glory. We need to leave behind all of our excuses, all of our own personal goals, achievements, accomplishments, uh, any relationship we need to re- re- reconfigure in our mind for the glory of Christ and not for ourselves. The resolution is not to reverse and be the one who grants approval and glory to others, but to bear a testimony to the glory of Christ in all things. It's not an invention of man, but it is a loving gift of the Father to the Son through us. How is it that God the Father glorifies God the Son? In you, through you. That is his intention. That is his plan. You can't tell him to do something else or to try something else. Christ has been glorified at the cross. He's being glorified in heaven right now, and our experience of his glory comes in and through our relationships with each other. We need to embrace that. We need to be intentional about it, not to use a buzzword. We need to be serious about it. When you come to church, show me the glory of Christ. Don't show me the glory of yourself. And tell me that too. Don't show me the glory of yourself. Show me the glory of Christ. Because we need that. We love him because he first loved us. We're not going to create this on our own. We've been out of paper at home for a couple days. And it's been so fun with this new printer because it seems we have an endless supply of ink. And when we ran out of paper, it was such a disruption. Because we're like, what? what do you mean I can't print anything? We have all this ink. We have a never-ending supply of ink. There should be no reason I can't print what I need to print. But we were out of paper. The ink was not the problem. It was the paper. We always have the problem with the ink. we're out of ink again. Now we're out of paper. And this new printer has come into our lives and promised us all the printing we could ever desire, but if there's no paper in it, it's not going to print anything. Do you get the illustration yet? This ink of the glory of Christ is in fact Endless and the paper of our lives sorry temporary picture though that's helpful perhaps to you we're only here for a blip vapor in the wind we all know it we all have points that we even perhaps even just this past week you realized oh my goodness my 4 year old is brushing her teeth by herself or or oh my goodness i have to go renew my license or, or there's 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 checkpoints at every moment of our lives to remind us this life is not permanent. And to hearken back to a couple sermons ago, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. His message to the Jewish leaders is the message to us as well, and we need to be serious about it. I also had to, had to throw this in here, this old hymn. Could we the, with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, Where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Just temporary, short time, but overwhelming amount of glory that will encompass us in eternity. It's our perfect hope. But today, we need to be serious about this matter of glory and our own self-glory. I read a cool article by this guy named Thaddeus Williams. He said, the more self-absorbed we are, the less awe we experience or glory we experience. The less awe or glory we experience, the less fully and freely ourselves we become. God didn't make you to live forever the way you are right now. He made you to live temporarily the way you are right now. And we're meant to seek something greater than ourselves. The only one is Christ. So, take a glory inventory. Would you do it right now? Would you do it tomorrow and maybe even on Tuesday? In four areas: relationships, possessions, accomplishments, and goals. Relationships, possessions, accomplishments, and goals. Would you consider those four areas of your life and just give yourself a score? Be as brutally honest as you can because it's just for you. Am I giving glory to Christ or myself in my relationships? Am I giving glory to Christ or myself in my possessions? Am I giving glory to Christ or myself in my accomplishments? And am I giving glory to Christ or myself in my goals? Convicting me, just thinking about it right now. We have to be serious about this because Christ is serious about it. How can you believe if you give glory to yourself? We can't. We need him to give the love of God to us. We need him to create faith in our hearts, and he has promised to do that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning as we consider this weight of glory. That you're not calling us to do anything that you're not going to provide for us to do. You are our creator. You are our redeemer as well. We have every reason to believe that you will provide all that we need for life and godliness so that Christ will be glorified the way he is worthy of. I pray, Lord, if anyone doesn't know Christ, that they would consider these things deeply and consider the state of their heart, the trajectory of their life, that glory is their end result. It's a matter of whether we're going to enjoy that glory or if we are going to mourn the absence from it for all of eternity. Thank you that in your kindness you've made the good news freely available to all who will believe. So create faith in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.